It's Thursday, February 20th, and 186 days separate us from the Republican National Convention in Charlotte. From WFAE Charlotte's NPR News Source, I'm Lisa Worf. And I'm Steve Harrison. And this is Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about how conventions make some people lots of money, like the owner of this limo company. We did in about three and a half days um, what we would normally do in two and a half months in volume and revenues. That's how good it was. (laughs) And how some people actually lose money on conventions. It was probably half of what we would normally do on a regular week, let alone staffing up for what we thought was going to be a tremendous week. And to do that, we're going to first zoom out and try to get the big picture of convention spending. It'll mean talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. And we're going to start out with some math. Hopefully it doesn't make your head hurt. So I'm looking here at the 2012 Republican National Convention, in which Booster said resulted in $214 million in direct spending into the Tampa Bay area in Florida. But then that same year, Charlotte hosted the DNC, And a study here showed that the convention brought in only $91 million in spending. So that sounds odd. Right. These events are pretty much the same. How can they produce such wildly different results? That's what we're going to look at today. Is there any truth in these economic impact studies? And who are the real winners and losers when these big conventions come to town? And of course, there are skeptics in this field. Here's Andrew Zimbalist of Smith College, who has studied the impact of big events. There's no guarantee just because several tens of thousands of people show up to participate doesn't mean that there aren't going to be tens of thousands of people who are chased away. The CRVA used to make these really wild claims about economic impact from their conventions. They were really out there. Charlotte hosted the NRA for a second time in 2010. And when they first landed the convention, they said it would produce $10 million in direct spending, and then after the event, they said it was worth nearly $70 million, which is a little crazy. But the current chief executive, Tom Murray, is more cautious. All those questionable claims about economic impact came before him. These big events are really, really important to us as a community, and particularly in their media value and the way we can reach communities that we normally can't reach from a paid media perspective. But one always has to keep in perspective the hospitality industry is a huge industry in this market. It's $7.4 billion. And when you're talking $100 million or even $200 million from a political convention? Just a small fraction of what makes up $7.4 billion industry. So it's the day-to-day blocking and tackling of booking conventions, you know, hosting visitors, attracting destination visitors into our community that really makes it work. But it's even more humbling when you look at it in the context of the overall Charlotte economy. It's a bit like looking into outer space and realizing how small we are. So I looked and saw the Charlotte region's gross domestic product is $170 billion. And let's say that the RNC brings in $170 million in direct spending, a lot more than the DNC brought in eight years ago. Then it's a tenth of a percent of the Charlotte economy for that year. So this is not going to change the trajectory of the city. Of course, for a small business, it can be a big boost. So let's look for a moment at winners. And then we'll look at losers. There will be lots of businesses that do really, really well. There will be others that didn't get to participate or didn't get the kind of customer volume that they had, had hoped for and will be disappointed. So first, the businesses that do really well. Limousine companies. 
They're locally owned. They're in high demand. Yeah, early in this episode, we heard from James Wayman, who started Silver Fox in 2004. In less than a week, his company did two and a half months of revenue. Another owner, Andy Thompson of Rose Limo, said it was the best week he's had in the 35 years he's been with the company. Yeah, it was just very busy. It was probably the largest week that we've, we've ever had. We controlled about 150 vehicles from, you know, not only in Charlotte, but we brought them in from out of town. Then there's Tim Freer, co-owner of Cajun Queen, a restaurant in Elizabeth that's near Uptown, but not really close enough for convention visitors to reach. They added staff to help with all the extra business they expected. We were very, very excited. We were hoping that it was going to be one of the busiest weeks of the year. What we found was that it was very disappointing. And they were still close enough to the action that locals stayed away. We heard all the stories from uptown inside the perimeter that they couldn't get any more reservations and they couldn't be any more busy. And we were sitting outside of the perimeter empty, basically. And then we found that all the people that were living in Charlotte were afraid to even go close to uptown and they wouldn't come even a mile or two away from uptown to see us either. So we were kind of just sitting there putting our thumbs, unfortunately. In the end, they got about half the business they usually do. And as for politicians, Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois and his security details stopped by, but that was all. Carpe Diem, a restaurant nearby, hosted a private event at its restaurant for the DNC and catered another event. This year, co-owner Bonnie Warford is considering a different approach, either try to do a buyout for the restaurant for the whole week. Or if that doesn't happen, then I would probably just do everything I can to promote that we are open for normal business and we're easy to get to and not part of the convention. The CRVA's economic impact analysis did take that into account somewhat. Its consultant said there was a little more than $7 million in lost business due to the DNC, but that loss focused on uptown workers staying away and the impact on retail and restaurants in the center city. It didn't focus on what happened to businesses in that no-man's land of Cajun Queen and Carpe Diem. So we've talked transportation and restaurants. A lot of the money from the convention goes to hotels. And who's the winner there? Most often, not Charlotte. We'll have more on that right after this quick break on the Inside Politics podcast, The RNC in Charlotte. Today's podcast was made possible by listeners like you. If you're enjoying today's episode and learning something new from Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte, make sure to give this podcast a rating and review in your favorite podcast app. And if you want to support the podcast even further, become a member of WFAE with a donation of any amount, $5, 10 $15, you name it. Just hit the donate button on WFAE.org slash Inside Politics. Okay, so let's turn to hotels, which are one of the big winners. But it's actually a little complicated in terms of who actually profits. Let's take a step back for a second and look at how the hotel business works in terms of how conventions help them. As I understand it, the convention business in Charlotte is not that big of a driver of their business. Right. The city's hotel business is based on business travelers, the big banks, law firms, and so forth. They fill up hotel rooms on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights, And they allow hotels to charge pretty good rates. And that sometimes makes it hard for the city to attract conventions because organizations or groups coming here want cheap hotel rooms. They don't want to pay $229 a night. Exactly. 
So Charlotte has this situation where the hotel business is pretty good. So good, in fact, that the CRVA struggles to bring business here. And to see the impact of this convention on one hotel, we're going to go to the Doubletree on Trade Street near Johnson & Wales University, just on the edge of uptown. And would you like your warm chocolate chip cookie that we'll welcome all of our guests with, sir, or you want to wait? I sat down with hotel GM Bill DeLoach, and we talked about the convention business and how it split into tiers. On one hand, there are conventions for people like cardiologists. Everyone wants those conventions. They'll pay a lot for hotel rooms, they'll spend a lot of money at restaurants, and so forth. But Charlotte often attracts more of a low-budget convention. Now, if you have a, we call it SMURF, um, social, you know the Military, term. Military, educational, recreational, fraternal, right? Yep, and sports. And um, it's SMURFs instead Smurfs. of SMURF. That's SMURF with an E. Not the little blue people. That's right. In the convention business, a SMURF group is like the American Legion or an organization of educators or even the CIAA. Because remember, the second S stands for sports. So they typically are rate sensitive. They aren't making it rain. So they're going to look for dates where we're willing to dip below our typical rate. That issue of hotels doing so well with business travelers was one of the problems with the city's relationship with the CIAA basketball tournament. The CIAA wanted cheaper rooms, but there wasn't a lot of appetite among hoteliers to do that. Here's Deloach. Every hotel here including the Westin, really, can survive without a major convention. We're small enough that we could absorb the corporate business, which is strong. But Deloach says that hotels should sacrifice a little to bring in steady convention business, even if it's not profitable. He thinks that it's a smart long-term play to bring conventions here because they can bail out hotels during recessions. I'm a believer that as hotels in this community, we need to support the convention industry. But everybody, every GM doesn't have the same philosophy, so to speak. So we How can, do you mean by that? Well, it's easy to, uh, as you said, to get greedy, in my opinion, and restrict convention bookings from your hotel and only take the high-rated corporate. But I think to be a good citizen in Charlotte, in the hotel industry, we need to support the convention business, too. Because when there's a downturn in the economy or when there's a slow period, we need the convention and Visitors Bureau, we need convention business to be successful. But the beauty of the RNC is that it lets everyone be, well, greedy, right? It sure does. If you look back eight years ago for the DNC, you could track the revenue of Mecklenburg Hotels by how much hotel motel tax revenue was collected. And there was a big spike in August 2012 compared to August 2011. Revenue was up 82%. Most all of us in Charlotte are pretty careful not to, quote, gouge. So the rate's good, but it's not going to make our year, no. Have you already agreed to the rate? Is it already set? Oh, yeah. That was part of the original deal. So what is it going to be for a typical king-size bed? I can't share that. Yeah, I'd get in trouble. But I will say it's more than 169 and probably less than 300 Okay, so the RNC is definitely not a Smurf convention. The delegates have money. They're willing to spend a lot on hotels, on food, on entertainment. And another thing. August is a slow month for Charlotte hotels, so this is a double bonus. It's an expensive convention, and it's at a time when hotels can't fill their rooms anyway. DeLoach says in a regular week in August, he'd be encouraging people to take vacation. Some people wouldn't get 40 hours. But now everyone is working 40-plus overtime, right? And the tips are good, but... If I ask my room attendants, they're not going to tell me because they want to kind of keep the mysteries. 
Okay, so this is a big convention. Wealthy people, expensive hotel rooms. What's the downside? Well, there are a couple of caveats. One is that the RNC is displacing some people who would be staying in hotels anyway. And Deloach says the week before and the week after is a bust. People just avoid the city for a long time. It's definitely a great event for the city, but when you think about it, your other business doesn't want to come near us for a week or two before and a week or so after. And there's another big caveat. Most city hotels aren't locally owned. So where do the profits go? Yeah, some hotels are locally owned, even if they are franchisees of the big chains, Marriott, Hilton, and so forth. But most have ownership groups that are out of Charlotte and out of state. And so if a hotel can make an extra $80 a night, the money is probably being vacuumed out of Charlotte. The Doubletree is owned by Johnson & Wales, which is based in Providence, Rhode Island. Let's say our net income is around 21-22%. So that net income does go to the ownership. So really, the only thing we keep is what we need to operate the hotel. And to be fair, when the CRVA did that economic impact study of the DNC, they accounted for that. So how much of the spending is expected to be local this time around? To some extent, that's up to the local host committee. The committee's CEO, John Lasseter, says the committee has big plans to make sure local business benefits, as well as minority women and veteran-owned businesses. But he wouldn't give details. We're trying to spend local. We're trying to spend with women, minority, veteran-owned businesses and keep that economy moving in our community. And that's been a high priority from us from the beginning. Do you have a target as far as that participation, minority, women-owned businesses? We do. What is the target? I'm not going to tell you. How come? I mean, we're a private business, and we're focused on what we think is important. We're not a public entity. We're a 501c3. Ultimately, what we do has to be listed in 990 reports and FEC reports, but we're really focused on what's important for this community. Uh, We have a economic development mission is stated in our 501c3 application, and we're going to operate exactly that way. So the issue of spending locally versus out of the city really makes this hard to figure out. Let's say the convention spends $3 million on communications equipment for the convention. Local vendors are going to get a piece of that. But some of that money is also going to flow out of the city to AT&T or wherever. And the same goes for the $50 million federal security grant. A lot of that money goes to pay the wages of police officers who work the convention. And if you're a CMPD officer making RNC overtime, that's a big boost. But a lot of officers are coming from other departments. That money will flow out of the city. So let's change direction for a second. The other part of the convention that's hard to put a dollar sign on is exposure. For three days, Charlotte will be all over the media worldwide. We asked Murray about negative media coverage. If the president says something particularly inflammatory, that's repeated again and again on the news. Like what happened at a rally in Greenville, North Carolina last summer when President Trump referenced Muslim Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who emigrated from Somalia as a child. The crowd chanted, sent her back. Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. We asked Murray about a similar scenario here in Charlotte, and he focused on security, not what could be a divisive message from inside the arena. What if there are negative parts of the convention? It is an incredibly polarizing president. Is there anything that keeps you up at night in terms of bad publicity? 
I think the good news is that these conventions happen every four years, and the federal government and the organizing committees are quite skilled at it. The people that are running these events know what they're doing. And I think another thing to ask is why more cities aren't trying to land these conventions. We've talked in past episodes about how Charlotte was the only city government to put in a formal bid for the RNC. And interest in the DNC was a lot less this time as well. Milwaukee is hosting the DNC, and there were three other finalists, Miami, Houston, and Denver. And news reports show that Birmingham, Alabama also bid, along with Atlanta. But if you go back to 2008, there were 11 cities that were interested in hosting the DNC. This may be a case of all the hassle, having your downtown blocked off for a week and all their preparation, just makes that extra money not worth it. That was Steve Harrison helping us navigate the road to the RNC as political reporter for WFAE. Thanks, Steve. Happy to help, Lisa. That concludes today's episode of Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte. Listen to the podcast every other Thursday and make sure to subscribe to Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte for free on Apple Podcasts and PR One or head to WFAE.org slash Inside Politics. And if you like the episode, make sure to give it a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, I'm Lisa Worf. Catch you real soon on the Inside Politics podcast, the RNC in Charlotte.